Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready, and there will be no encore. It's the music podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Craig Fitzpatrick, how's it going, man? It's not too bad, man. Um, are we out of lockdown yet? Are we going back to level three? Is that the one? People don't come to this podcast for that kind of talk, Craig. They come for music and good times, and that's what we will serve them. So, I don't know, I hope so. But let's find out. Let's see what the days bring ahead. Yeah. Pr- Prison fantasy number two hasn't really stacked up for me. We talked about that previously where it was just like, oh, maybe I'll get loads of stuff done or I'll start working out. And um didn't happen in first lockdown, hasn't really happened this time. So Yeah, listen, I think we, we were both, we were talking to each other briefly the other day and I think we're not having the greatest of mental health weeks, which I think is a kind of a common uh, a theme, I suppose, for a lot of people. So I don't know. I mean, like, sometimes I sign off this podcast and I say stuff like, hey, everyone out there, I hope you're feeling well. And I'm just like, oh man, I sense so disingenuous. But on a serious note, though, I will say that like, it's a real fucking hard time in general. It's been a fucked up year. We know this. Um, if this show brings any relief to anybody, that's great. And I'm more than happy to have people listening to us. And just on a, like, like I know even now I find myself being like, what am I saying into this microphone? But like for reals, like give yourself a fucking break. It's hard. I'm, I've been, I've been in a real fucking bad place this week and it's taken mm. a lot of energy and a lot of effort to actually kind of turn around, drag myself up and say, no, stop giving yourself such a hard time for what you don't have and trying to appreciate what you do. And it's difficult and it's hard, 
But music helps, and so do two blokes fucking talking better, right, man? That's what we're here for. <laughs> Apparently so, yeah, we've heard that. And also, I should say that it, like, if you're listening to this and you're just one of those obnoxiously joyful people all the time, fair play to you, and you're also welcome, and that's great, and teach me your ways. I don't know about that. Uh, Christmas tends to bring out... Already the, yeah, there. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> They're out, are they? Listen, man, on this episode of No Encore, we will be reviewing the new album from The Cribs, They're Still a Thing. Our top five this week is... <laughs> it was very... Hold on, no, hold on a second. <laughs> Before you announce the top five, because that will just compound us, that was very dismissive of the cribs. I'm just talking about enduring... Tell people the top five. (laughs) Tell people the top five. The top five five is maybe somewhat related. It's top five landfill indie. It's best and worst. Yes, once again, we're doing a best and worst. And once again, I am on worst. At least one listener has gotten in touch to say that um, they were unhappy that I'm always on the worst, but this week they're happy about it. So we'll kind of switch it up next year. We'll give you some of the bad ones. I I have kind of hogged it. You do tend to volunteer immediately for the worst. I do. Yeah, that speaks to <laughs> it is actually the, <laughs> speaks the to my character. Do, the times I've done it, it is it is a lot of fun. I must say, uh, least sexy was particularly great when we had Mark Bryan on. Um, but yeah, I I've no doubt you had plenty of options to go for here, and also like. I kind of struggled because I guess we'll talk about it and what landfill indie actually means. But I mean, you kind of initially said to me in the chat, listen, you're going to have to make the case for it. You're going to have to be the champion. And I'm like, I'm not sure I can. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Yeah. And it wasn't as easy for me. It was very hard to get it down to five. And we'll talk all about it later on in the show. Uh, it, also this week, yeah, like you put out an incredible playlist on our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash no encore celebrating the 10 year anniversary of Kanye West's fifth best album, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Oh my God, his best album. <laughs> what was your list again? Can you give me the rankings? Can we just quickly go through I got them? in trouble so for this. 808 is your number one, right? Hard, like, I, I said personal favorite. I didn't say best. On Twitter, I was like for the day that's in it here's my personal favorite kanye solo <laughs> for the album day that's ranking. in it here's why you should stop celebrating this <laughs> album I, I know 808 and heartbreak is my number one it's my favorite kanye album yeezus was number two i you know, i wasn't sure if i should go for that a life of pablo which i put at number three number four i think i went with uh college dropout yeah it was and number five my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and from there it's late registration graduation uh, yay and I guess Jesus is king at the very very bottom and people were not fucking happy with me as they never are Mango given out to me Daffy from Tebby Rex given out to me my own housemate the occasionally mentioned Richard Chambers replied publicly for all to see calling it rubbish and got more likes for that tweet than I got for mine which was very did, very sad did he have well he gets a lot of likes for every tweet in fairness he's a, a newsman a man about town did he give his own personal ordering Do you, can you reveal that to the nation now I did I'm yeah. guessing he's um, beautiful dark twist fancy number one yeah, maybe he's a late registration I guy I can't remember it's beneath like why are we like this is just further throwing me under the bus for, for, for having an opinion I said personal favourite I didn't say best I said personal favourite but the point is Patreon com slash no encore thank you so much to everyone who supports the show and if you support the show you can get access to craig's incredible playlist why don't you tell all the listeners about it craig yeah so it's 10 hours long um <laughs> nearly 10 hours long i think it's a minute shy of it um i didn't just like put all my energy this week into it um i must say i'd been working on it for a while and then i looked around on spotify and there was a few other examples of it um but they i'm not sure if they were as comprehensive essentially it's every it's not every, I won't say that, but it's the majority of the big key samples that Kanye West has used throughout his career, not just his own discography, his production work for other people. So, um, 
yeah what i will say is there's a bit of a write-up there on the patreon um don't be daunted by it it's totally one for the shuffle it's a lot of kind of cool soul weird prog stuff um stuff you won't even recognize like just the way he manipulated within his own songs it's just good to dip into stick it on shuffle and yeah you might make some new discoveries i certainly did from it before we get to the main thrust of our news this week this is of course a music show but on occasion some things can transcend whatever i guess genre or realm that they occupy uh, Andrea Cleary, friend of the show, co-host of the Nile Nine podcast, was correct in her statement this week when she noted that Diego Maradona, the now late Diego Maradona, was a pop star. He was a rock star. He was something else entirely. He was more than just a footballer. And unfortunately, he has passed away. So I guess, you know, Craig, anything you want to say about the greatest to ever do it on the football field? It was one of those moments when it's just like, it's one of the few names, the minute it's announced, you get like a flood of messages, even people you haven't heard from in ages. Uh, you know, your dad is kind of like, what, Maradona, what? Um, so yeah, just such an icon. Um, a conflicted kind of personality, flawed dude, but I guess that made him all the more compelling and just, yeah. Um, it was amazing just seeing all the tributes fly in. It was kind of like, oh, I'm going to actually watch RT News tonight. Uh, sorry, Richard. Um, and he, like Liam Brady was there just talking about, oh yeah, he was a great player, like low center of gravity. Uh, balls stuck to his feet. I was kind of just waiting for him to go, yeah, he was like a, a Latin Johnny Giles, but he didn't, unfortunately. <laughs> but I, I only saw the um, Maradona documentary this year. I believe it came out last year. Um, and that really just amped up my appreciation for him, particularly as a guy, because what, he definitely had a lot of flaws, but I'd always kind of thought of him as mercurial kind of football genius. Maybe someone that was a bit of a twat like that was just kind of you know from not knowing too much about him the way you could kind of perceive the situation he had a hugely tough upbringing an incredible life story um mistreated left right and center um just kind of by society by football clubs um just kind of chewed up and spat out had substance problems and just that to lead that life was a monumental struggle it would be for anyone and um yeah he made moments of magic from it so fair play to him and rest in peace yeah Maradona. i i uh, i watched that documentary the night that like the the death was announced uh, it's the as if Capadia film and you know he who made Did senna, senna and amy yeah. yeah so it's like it's that yeah. style i'm not as enamored with that style as a lot of people are but it is incredibly comprehensive for what it is it does show you the rise and the fall and it has like just an insane litany of imagery and just voices yeah. well the clipped. napoli stuff is incredible Unbelievable. like it really conveys the sense of how mass like he was he was and still is god there 100 percent. yeah always will be um, and that's the thing it's like i've seen some people kind of say stuff like oh my god like the the lead story on rt news sorry richard was um you know <laughs> the death of a footballer and it's like okay listen first of all fuck you second of all uh yeah. even if he was just a footballer he was the greatest footballer of all time so it is warranted but he was so much more than that he was a genuine icon uh, an incredible one-of-a-kind human being who yes had a lot of problems and Ultimately, they contributed to his, I, I, you know, this the latter half of his days. And, you know, it's no one's perfect, but society took so much from this person. He gave so much to society as well through his art. And his art was just unbelievably poetic and incredible. You will literally never see the like again. And I was just utterly captivated by his presence. And it is that thing of like, yeah, yeah. I, I also was like, should I should I ring my dad? Like, what do I do here? <laughs> you know, I was just like... Uh... <laughs> It's amazing how like just individuals like just you know flesh and bones people can just unite 
the globe essentially and just it's it's incredible those kind of touchstones we all have well I'm, I'm glad you said that craig because it's time to talk about the grammys everyone's <laughs> favorite award show it's back and for once in fairness there's actually a lot of news coming out of this year's announcement were you glued to the nominations on tuesday i presume you were yeah no, they totally slip by me. Um, as is often the case with the Grammys, I tuned in for the controversy uh, for the major artists saying, that's it, this time I'm done with them altogether. I did, of course, take note of the fact that our very own Fontaine's DC are up for an award, which is like great. I mean, you know, that exposure for Dublin Band, fantastic. It's best rock album. They're alongside The Strokes, um, Michael Kiwanuka, which is a great album. Um, Grace Potter, who I'm not sure I'm totally familiar with. Big in the US, I think might be the thing. And Sturgill Simpson, who I always assumed was a country artist. So did I. With that name, you would think so, right? Like Stark Stands or something. You're like, well, that's just perfect. But uh, yeah, listen, yeah. I mean, like, you know, Fontaine's are not my favourite band in the world. I've given them a kicking here and there. Although I contend that with the reviews, we've been more than fair. And I do think A Hero's Death is a better album than Dog Roll. But like, so yeah. congratulations. I mean, like, I was I was having a, a, a insanely depressing, like, it was like the height of this week's, like, intense mental health crash and then I saw that and I was like well here you go of course you know what I mean like why not you know <laughs> I was like you might as well universe go ahead so that's what social media is terrible for that just where it's like oh everyone else's life is going spectacularly I know, of yeah, course I know but look no, no, no I mean, like, on them, but, fair play yeah. I mean like, like it's it's interesting that the strokes are in there did I read this right that it's the strokes first Grammy nomination that couldn't be you would assume that couldn't be but it is the Grammys there's kind of a narrative around them like the the whole kind of you know their back thing is really stuck and um, people seem to be enjoying it um, yeah maybe their time is now as they move move into kind of middle age you know that is kind of the Grammys domain well let me so it makes sense let me break down some of the headlines here because there are actually quite a lot cool. of them Beyonce leaves the field with nine total nominations including song of the year and record of the year as well as best rap performance best rap song best R&B performance best R&B song best music film and best music video um, yeah. Taylor Swift Dua Lipa and Roddy Rich are all tied for the next highest nominations at six nominations in total Phoebe Bridgers is up for her first ever Grammys um, and all of the best rock performance nominees of which she is in are female-led acts Phoebe Bridgers Fiona Apple Big Thief Haim Brittany Howard and Grace Potter apart from that what else have we got here Kanye picked up a nod for a uh, Best Contemporary Christian Music Christian. Album for Jesus is King. Got it in the bag, I would suggest. And I love, sorry, I love the fact that one of the people in the Christian category recently um, filmed himself pissing on Grammy Awards and posted it online. It's just great. Forgiveness, Craig. That's the whole tendency of Christianity, right? For sure. Um, yeah. Two artists, however, who were missing from contention to some surprise. Bob Dylan, Rough and Ready Way, has got nothing. And The Weeknd, which is quite surprising. I mean, Blinding Lights, despite coming out at the end of 2019, was eligible for nomination, as was the parent album After Hours. Uh, his previous album, Starboy, won the 2018 Grammy Award for Best Urban Contemporary Album, and he has been nominated for 10 Grammys in his career, winning three times. Now, there's been some conspiracy suggestions that because of him performing at the Super Bowl halftime show next year, this is some kind of ultimatum, um, some network-based uh, thing, but that's been denied. Yeah. Um. When it comes, I mean, yeah. Go on. The the, yeah, the Grammys. There's always those question marks around the Grammys. It is peer voted. Um. It's not the most transparent process, but um. The peers in question are a lot of L.A. 
uh, music industry heads. So if it's not totally corrupt, I can see why things could be shifted around or people can vote a certain way. It's not all about the music. It's my hot take on the ground. No, you're joking, man. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about, man? So, okay, so essentially, like, you know, there was a bit of a timeline to this. Um, initially, when The weekend was shut out and people were asking some questions, the interim CEO and president of the Grammys, Harvey Mason Jr., said, you know, it really just comes down to the voting body that decides. Several hours after the nominations were announced, the weekend went to Twitter, took to Twitter, I do apologize, and said, the Grammys remain corrupt. You owe me, my fans, and the industry transparency. So you can imagine how that went down. Bit Trumpian, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit, it's it's a bit megalomaniacal, but fair play to him. I mean, like, to be fair, like, he is a superstar. Um, Then, in response to this, later that night, uh, Harvey Mason Jr., put out a statement about the whole thing and said, we understand that The weekend is disappointed at not being nominated. <laughs> I was surprised and I can empathise with what he's feeling, presumably having missed it. I was surprised myself. Missed out on several Grammys himself, yeah. I don't know. Uh, his music this year was excellent and his contributions to the music community and broader world are worthy of everyone's admiration. We were thrilled when he found out he would be performing at the Super Bowl and would have loved him also to perform in the Grammy stage the weekend before. Unfortunately, every year there are fewer nominations than the number of deserving artists as only the peer-voted music award we will continue to recognize and celebrate excellence in music while shining a light on the many amazing artists that make up our global community. To be clear, voting in all categories ended well before the weekend's performance of the Super Bowl was announced, so it could have no way affected the nomination process. All nominees are recognized by the voting body for their excellence, and we congratulate them all. Uh, unlikely to take that lying down. You like that album quite a bit. How do you feel about this? Uh, it's a bit of a shock, considering how massive he is at the moment. It's, he seems to be at that perfect Grammy intersection of kind of critical success but also huge commercial appeal um yeah like i think um labels have to proactively submit records i'm wondering is someone very worried at the label right now just being like i didn't send in the documents don't tell able um but yeah drake came out and actually um his comments made a lot of sense i mean i, I you know i rag on drake quite a bit but he's quite noble when it comes to the grammys and he was saying like listen we need to stop allowing ourselves to be shocked he called out all the names that are kind of missing the likes of pop smoke little baby people that had huge ears and um he himself does not submit stuff to the grammys anymore uh like he pulled i think more life he said he wouldn't allow it because point of principle because hotline bling won best rap record and Drake was like, there's no rapping on that record. Why did I win this? Um, it's, a, it's a total sham, which is like, fair enough. Got to appreciate that. So Bob Dylan has been quiet, shockingly enough, hasn't really <laughs> spoken out about this. He's previously won... Has he got his Nobel Prize yet? I presume he's clutching he's it dearly, up. I would say. Uh, he has previously won 10 awards at the Grammys and received 38 nominations in total, but nothing for him this year. Justin Bieber, meanwhile, picked up four Grammy nominations. And like, I'm sorry, but like... He's up for best pop solo performance for Yummy. Now, in terms of, which is just one of the worst songs of the last 12 months. Blinding Lights by the weekend, right? Is it oversaturated? Probably. I found myself going back to After Hours there this week, you know, in my kind of end of year trawl to go through as many albums as I possibly can before we really start locking it down for the show. And like, I'm, you know, it's going along and I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't love it. And then like, you're nine tracks in and Blinding Lights comes on and I haven't heard it in fucking probably a month or two and I'm just like yeah that's the stuff it is an incredible pop song how is it not nominated when a song like Yummy yeah. is I don't understand anyway um, Bieber was not too pleased with his nominations and he said on Instagram where else I'm very meticulous and intentional about my music with that being said I said I had to make an R&B album 
Changes was and is an R&B album. It is not being acknowledged as an R&B album, which is very strange to me. I grew up admiring R&B music and wished to make a project that would embody that sound. For this not to be put in that category feels weird, considering from the chords to the melodies to the vocal style all the way down to the hip-hop drums that were chosen, it is undeniably, unmistakably an R&B album. To be clear, I absolutely love pop music, it just wasn't what I set out to make this time around. My gratitude for feeling respect for my work remains, and I'm honoured to be nominated either way. Like, that's a bad Does album. understand what pop music is as well? Like, pop isn't really devi- defined entirely by genres. Uh, it's also a weird, potentially dodgy, like, stance to take, isn't it? Just like, I want to be the person that's winning in the R&B categories. Me, the Canadian white male dude. I don't know. It's a, I can't believe he's so annoyed that he's just in the pop categories. Because, as you say, it's such a rubbish record. He's lucky to be at the show at all. The aforementioned Harvey Mason Jr. Uh, had a brief conversation with Pitchfork about some of the, you know, high-profile headlines that we're talking about here and he did briefly mention about Bieber he basically like politely disagreed and was like it's a pop album um, however he was asked yeah. though I guess one final thing on the Grammys this year because it is something we've talked about previously there's an update on the whole world music to global music switch in terms of that titling and how we were talking on the show previously about how like you can understand a call for changing world music it is a bit outdated but global music doesn't sound all that different so it was put to him directly uh, can you explain why this is preferable to the, yeah. to the previous. So Harvey Mason Jr. said, we met specifically with people from what was formerly known as the world music community. They felt that terminology did not properly describe their community. They felt it was slightly offensive and not inclusive enough for all the different types of music that they made and wanted to submit in that category. We worked with them for over a month to really go back and forth about what would really encompass that category accurately. They suggested that terminology. We felt good about it coming from the experts we gathered to talk and, and socialize it. So yeah, throw them under the bus immediately. It was their choice, not yeah. mine. Bye. And very, very vague. And also, um, I must say, it sounds a lot like your typical kind of we're workshopping the name and then just by committee, it ends up being something that like no one's really that happy with. Like I totally can see um, the point of view of the people within that genre making that kind of music going, okay, there's a lot of baggage with um world music but then when kind of push comes to shove and you have to come up with like a different label for a category like it's still a pigeonhole you just end up going uh like what is the right term (laughs) oh god i guess we're gonna have to go with global are we really sending the email that says yeah we agree it's global okay fine um it's it's global i guess but yeah i it's just the baggage that comes with world music really i can't say i can't say hand and heart global music makes any sense to me as a differentiator other than just being a fresh start. Mason Jr. continues, For us at the Academy, in the past we haven't always moved quickly and as swiftly as some people would like, so this is a step in our effort to make sure we're listening and learning from our music families and constituents and giving it attention and being respectful to people. So when they feel something's not being done correctly or they're being misrepresented or they're offended in a way, we want to be quick to change and quick to pivot. So that's what this is a result of, which pretty much says what you were saying there in terms of like, it's making an effort in the moment, in real time, to try and, you know, actually make some changes, but maybe it's not the definitive article just yet. Yeah. Uh, January 31st, Greg, Grammys, you going to watch it? <sighs> Who knows what we'll all be doing in January. Um, if I have to watch the Grammys, not a lot has changed, I guess. Um yeah, I'll do it. I'll do my duty for the podcast. Why not? Appreciate it, bro. The aforementioned Phoebe Bridges, uh, she of four Grammy nominations, was also part of that recent Rolling Stone Musicians on Musicians cover special that we talked about. 
Um, she was assigned, I suppose, Lars Ulrich, which is what you want, right? So she got to interview him. <laughs> assigned? Do you think they just, like, pick names? I don't know how it works. Like, Taylor Swift, Paul McCartney, Phoebe Ridges, Lars Ulrich. I mean, like, who would you, yeah. like... Cause I, I don't know. How do you feel about this whole thing? Because I've seen, actually, like, a lot of increasing disapproval of actors interviewing actors, musicians interviewing musicians. I think mostly from journalists, of course, but, like... There are times when it gets very just like navel gazing crap, right? It's not the most in depth thing of all time, but it could be like it's, it isn't like it's not the worst concept of I've ever heard of. There's been a few good ones over the years. Um, I feel like Dylan and Leonard Cohen did one absolutely years ago that was a great read. And Kate Moss and Bowie was surprisingly good. Of course, it's all a construct of like you know, there's clearly a journalist there that's leading the conversation, asking questions, and just kind of reworking stuff. But yeah, it's. <laughs> The pairings is interesting. It reminds me of like being in work and on like Microsoft Teams or Zoom and like the company realizing that we need more kind of organic social encounters. So after this company meeting, we're going to have breakout chats and you're going to be assigned to different people. Then everyone has to see this list of like, oh, who am I talking to for the next 20 minutes? Um, But it's always great. Obviously, I love everyone at my company. But uh, yeah, (laughs) I wonder how Phoebe Bridgers felt about sitting down with Lars. Actually, it seems like she's a big fan, particularly of St. Anger. Yep. Which I assume is why this story's in the running order. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. And thus, actually, Dave, hold on a second. This is not great audio. Okay, so you're reaching. What's new? You're reaching up what's for new? something. I'm reaching like over my head. Are you about to pull CD down rack. a Saint Anger vinyl, please? I've just spotted. It's actually the CD. Oh my god! The gate. There it it's is. A gatefold. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah I is. have that one. Yeah, the cardboard pullout. Yeah, that's the exact same one. Yeah, you bought it. I didn't know that you bought Saint Anger back in the day. I'm. I'm this is amazing. I believe it was a gift from an uncle. Um, because at the time I was hugely into Metallica and was kind of disappointed. There's a few tunes on it, but um, yeah, I did not rush out and buy it, but um, yeah. I did listen to it. An incredible album in many, many ways. Um, Phoebe Bridges is a fan, yeah, so they were chatting. Like, the big news story here is that Metallica are working on new music as revealed to Phoebe Bridges by Lars Ulrich, but of course the bigger story is that Phoebe Bridges uh, also, it was the first Metallica album she ever heard, St. Anger, and she called it a great record. Lars responded, <laughs> that record had a very, very different makeup for those couple of years. Everything was about being open with each other with the spirit of no rules. I'm happy that we did it. Uh, Phoebe Bridges has apparently gone out with Paul Meskel these days. So between Love and St. Anger. Is that still a thing? I think so. The Daily Mail seemed to think so. Um, but like, okay. he did an interview there and saying how he's got a loving girlfriend and everyone put the pieces together. So if she's an honorary Irish citizen and she loves St. Anger, the next course of action here is to invite her on the show. She's more than welcome. 100%. More than welcome. Yeah, open invitation. Um, love that record. I do think, and I enjoy her on social media, but she's a bit of a contrarian. And I think, I wonder, is that the case here? Like, really just saying how much she loves St. Anger? Ugh. She knows people are going to be like, oh, Phoebe. But um, yeah, I'll let her off. <laughs> Standing in I'll your let, garden. Actually, just, like, Phoebe. Just on the, just on the Metallica thing, um, when we did musical re- reinventions with Sarah Hederman on the show a couple of weeks ago, I did dip back into... Um, Metallica's Load and Reload albums because in every list you looked online it was just like this is where it all went wrong terrible there's some good stuff they did not make my worst list there was some good stuff there 
Um, so yeah, Metallica don't always get a fair shake. Fair play to Lars well, and Phoebe. Fuel both invited on the show. Fuel is an all timer. Oh man, like if Lars Ulrich and Phoebe Bridges want to recreate their interview, and we can take the week off. They can absolutely use the No Encore platform to do so. I'm more than okay with that. It. But listen, you know Phoebe Bridges, she's young, she's cool, she's into memes, man. These kids and their memes and their video games, of course, because the vice president of Warner Music UK has spoken out and said the video games that musicians play now form a part of negotiating record deals. Tim Miles, who was a key figure in getting Stormzy into the new Watch Dogs video game, Watch Dogs Legion, which apparently isn't very good, um, has pushed for Warner Music artists to be included in more big title video games. He says, we've seen it before in TV and movies, out of nowhere you can have this moment where your streams have doubled, you've got all these new fans. Um, He said, Stormzy and Watch Dogs is probably the first time in a gaming sense where we've seen a similar impact that the Bond movie had on Billie Eilish, for example. Steady on, Same impact, if not greater, he says. (laughs) Now, Craig, you know, you're our advertising expert. How do you feel about this whole new move to video game-based product placement, I suppose? Um, I think it's a necessary thing, uh, particularly in this economy. Um, It's a smart move. I did think, like, if there's certain figures in the music industry that you want to watch because they always make kind of canny moves. Um, and I think when Travis Scott did that whole Fortnite thing where he just did the kind of um, live in-game concert, which is like, I think he did four songs pre-recorded. He was like a giant version of himself. It's not like an experience that I was looking for particularly, but it was gigantic. It opened up to a huge audience. And yeah, if like Travis Scott, um, musically, he's fine. He's a bit beige for my taste, but he kind of makes great moves. And if he's going that, that direction... Yeah, fair play. The Stormzy thing, um, like I didn't know about this game. I didn't realise it was as big as James Bond. Apparently it's set in like a dystopian near future London where a rogue government has taken over. So it sounds like it was like right up Stormzy's alley. Um, That sounds like the right fit for sure. But I'm not sure how um, game changing uh, to excuse the point. See what he did there, folks? That's why they pay him the big bucks. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have to see the 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 footage, but I don't I don't know how like I'd have to see the footage. What the JFK assassination? Like, is he like a, a key character? Do you know what I mean? Is he like reoccurring in the narrative, or is it like a cameo? I wonder. Do you know what I mean? I'll have to talk to Dahi, who I believe got the game and said it wasn't very good. Okay. So I'll check in with him. It's obviously a hot news story. We'll need to update it next week. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of cool young musicians doing cool things, Lord, no, she's not bringing out a new album. She's announced a new 100-page photo book instead, compiling images from her 2019 trek to Antarctica. You hyped? Um, whenever I hear musicians and then photo books, I'm like, oh, here we go. Here's the Vanity Project. I always remember Nick Zinner of Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's doing a photo book like round about 2003 and when like young teenage me read that i was like oh this guy is just (laughs) i don't know but actually then i heard antarctica and i was like oh okay interesting she's been to antarctica um (laughs) i'm not sure how great the photos will be like is there a lot to see in antarctica if you're an amateur photographist well, or photographer, I should say. I, I, I prefer photogra- photographer, Tris, even though I'm, I'm struggling to say it. But, uh, you know, it's one of those changing language, man. Cool new words, it'll come to me. So it's called Going South, and the exact release date of the book hasn't been revealed. This is all revealed in a newsletter to her fans. She said, We're doing pre orders to get an idea of how many to produce, so it won't arrive for Christmas, they wouldn't think. Sounds like a scam to me. Uh, she says, When I went to Antarctica, I hadn't yet started writing again after finishing melodrama. Uh, I realized after the trip that what my brain had been craving was a visit to an alternate realm. 
Albums live in their own realms, in a way, and Antarctica really acted as this great white palate cleanser, a sort of celestial foyer I had to move through in order to start making the next thing. In the plane coming down to land, I had this very intense belt of lightning thought, which in all of its eloquence was literally, don't make shit records. Well, too late for that. I'll always hold this trip up as a life highlight for many reasons, but I'm particularly grateful for it as one that showed me the beginnings of the new world, which I continue to build, and I'm very excited to start showing you soon. Uh, in a newsletter back in May, she did say the work was well underway on a new album, the successor to 2017's Melodrama. Quote, The work is so fucking good, my friend. I'm truly jazzed for you to hear it. I'm more than happy for Laura to do whatever it takes to keep her away from the studio for a while. I don't need any new music from her for quite some time. Yeah, I was just thinking she didn't really have to go to Antarctica t- after making Melodrama to get the message, don't make shit records. Again, just come on no encore. Dave would have told you that straight up. Oh, come on. I know you're a fan of it. It's not a great album, Craig. We can we can agree. There's some tunes. The lyrics really pull it down. It's quite irritating. It's a big but problem. I think there's some good tunes on that. It's absolute sacrilege, though. I told my other housemate, Owen O'Sullivan of the Point of Everything podcast, that I can't stand that album. And he nearly fucking passed out in the kitchen from shock and rage <laughs> he's not, really? not a happy man sounds quite melodramatic to me perfect Dave. i like that a lot and i don't know ultimately you know whether it's antarctica whether it's lord's melodrama there's lots of great articles on a website you may have heard of called wikipedia everybody no they don't sponsor the show but there is a brand new heads of podcast all about wikipedia and it sounds a bit like this The World According to Wikipedia is a podcast that pops the hood of Wikipedia and invites you to take a look inside. Each episode, we will talk to someone from the Wikimedia community on topics like why are only 18% of biographies about women? Can editing Wikipedia be a protest or activism? And what is it like for the communities working on the 200 plus Wikipedias that are not in English? Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice and follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. I do enjoy a good Wikipedia deep dive at two in the morning when I can't sleep and i am got the existential dread kicking in. That's what it's for, right? I don't know. But I, what I do know, Craig, I mentioned at the top of the show, The Cribs, one of the UK's most enduring rock and roll acts, still with us, new album. It's called Night Network. This song is called Running Into You. We'll take a listen and then we will review. That was The Cribs. Craig O, who are these boys? Um, these boys are the Brothers German, Dave. There are now eight albums deep, um, returning with Night Network, as you said. So we have twin guitarists, uh, singers Ryan and Gary, plus their younger brother Ross keeping time. And yeah, I mean, we'll be talking about Landfill in, the, in a little bit in our top fives. And for me, The Cribs um, both like transcend Landfill Indie. Um, and also, I think... In terms of time periods and in terms of similar bands, they were kind of in it, right? And they acted to me always as like this spiky kind of interior counterpoint within it, like a force for good. 
um, a rogue agent um, fighting the good fight uh, amongst the lights of the wombats and scaring for girls. They're from Wakefield, near Leeds. So they have that kind of regional components that was a huge part of that scene. And they arrived, yeah, in the wake of the Libertines round about 2002. Their songs had, you know, a place in indie clubs and, you know, occasionally they did terrorist anthems kind of kind of stuff, the likes of Martel. And they were always a band that had one eye on, you know, trying to make the charts maybe or just doing good kind of poppy hooks, which is very much the British indie way and very much the landfill indie way. But they were a different proposition for me. Um they had like they drew a lot from kind of US underground ethos they were fairly like genuine as feminists um at the time like that was that really marked them out sadly anti macho um not quite straight edge but um they've talked in recent interviews about being like point like journalists talking about them as being like annoyingly dogmatic but because they say things like yeah we're we're not really up for any groupy action um which they saw as kind of grotesque at the time. Um, so for that, they were painted as kind of outsider weirdos. Um, I always had a lot of love for them. I think they're a great um, act um, that really never escaped the shadow of Landfill Indie. Um, so the last album they released was 24-7 um, Rockstar Shit, which we reviewed on this very show. And it was kind of, it was fun. It was a little bit throwaway. It was them working with Steve Albini. It was kind of like a bucket list thing, really, um, because they obviously loved his production work so much. And it seemed like, okay, are they running out of ideas? Do they want to try a few things before they inevitably wrap up for a few years and then do the Heritage Circuit? Um, Unbeknownst to us, the day after that album came out, they broke from their management. It wasn't a clean break at all. There's been a really like horrendous um, situation where they were just, they realised that as a fiercely proud kind of indie band for so many years, actually their kind of back catalogue had been pretty much sold away to third parties. Universal Music owned a lot of it. Um, they There was a lot of kind of bad blood with the people that had been running them. And they spent something like two years just trying to disentangle themselves. And lots of kind of long, dark nights of the soul going, is this the end of the band? Have we lost everything we w- worked for? They haven't played since they supported the Foo Fighters in uh, the Etihad Stadium. Um, I think summer 2018. And they were like at the time, okay, this might, maybe we'll just go out on this like last final hurrah. We're doing a stadium show. Um, we're not going to pull ourselves out from under this thing. And Dave Grohl came to the rescue and said, listen, lads, no, you're kind of going through um, a lot of legal wranglings and stuff like that. Put that aside. Come to our studios in L.A., um, the 606 Studios. Just work on some new music. It'll clear your heads. It'll be good for you. And so proved. So they regrouped at home in Wakefield over Christmas, wrote some songs, decamped to the States. And they talk about this, the, this record's just being their only source of relief, really. They're kind of like working at it on it at night. The day job became like paperwork and like tracing money trails and fighting court battles. And this was the one uplifting thing in their life. So the whole record is about like their career to date, um, their bonds, their kind of indie values, how they've been challenged in that respect and just trying to drag themselves out and kind of create something of a new future for them. They finally kind of caught themselves um they got themselves out of those wranglings the road is clear this is an independent release what did you make of it dave so i find the cribs hard to access in the sense that i find myself coming away and thinking of words like lightweight but then i understand how disparaging that might sound and it's not that i think that they're 
so lightweight that there's nothing here but I do find it hard to drill down and find the soul of this band so I'm curious as to what your kind of idea of their ethos is now you mentioned anti-macho you mentioned that they were lumped into landfill indie presumably in your opinion unfairly what like especially like with this feel-good story I guess of Dave Grohl of all people pulling them out of the muck and giving them the means perhaps to continue to some degree I mean like what is their story you know, like, like, who are they? Like, what do you get from... Because I'm not quite getting it from the music. I find that, like, with this album in particular, it's very samey to me. It's very repetitive. And it's, like, they have a template. It's not quite ACDC, like, last week. But, I mean, I'm not getting a lot from this in terms of variety. Am I just missing something? Um, This is self-produced. Uh, there's definitely a uniform sound. And for me, it's like, this is an album without an angle. It's kind of, you know, them trying to, it's not really a mission statement. It's like a reaffirmation of what they do best. So if you haven't really been on board thus far, um, this is them doubling down over like 12 more tracks for sure. What do I get from the Cribs? Um, Hugely melodic to me. Um, You know, there is kind of formulas there for sure, but I think they've got like a winning way with a chorus, with guitar lines. I love how they draw in like from the first track. Um, there's like Beach Boy harmonies coming in. There's, you know, moments where it could almost be like a Dusty Springfield song. Um, I'm reminded of like Roy Orbison, but it's all slathered in kind of 80s underground um, American guitars. Uh, They've worked with Lee Ronaldo. He appears again on um, this album and it's just that kind of alternative white noise thing. They just kind of subvert a lot of tropes for me and it's, yeah, it's that thing where they're doing... um, pop rock a lot of the time but just twisting it enough and bringing in that kind of like kitchen sink lyricism and like northern values um that just totally elevates it for me and i think they're good at all those kind of quite obvious things like it's the songs are catchy the guitar lines are great i love when they have that full throttle roar thing going on and i just think they're better at it than most of their contemporaries were so it's been fairly well received in terms of the notices. One in particular stood out to me. It was Gigwise. Here's a quote from it. I want to see what you think of this. The words magnum and opus come to mind. Fair? Yeah, I think it's I think it's everything they've been working on throughout the years. Like it's I it's the songs here feel like old crib songs, like kind of gems that they're just digging back up. Um I think on a lot of their previous records since maybe the turn of the last decade, as I say, they've been trying different things. They've been trying to find direction. They've been getting away from some of those roots. And this isn't like them consciously being like going, we need to recapture what was great about us. It's just them letting go. And as I say, like they were so, their minds were elsewhere. This was the relief for them. This was the uplifting part. And I think that sense of like, release and relief is palpable i think the context of the the creation of this record does seep into the music there's like you know there's always a bit of misery with the cribs but there's a lot of joy there too there's some lovely harmonies and it's that thing of like when ryan sings like he doesn't have the world's best voice they're limited in what they can do but they're always kind of reaching for that upper register and you know he mightn't be the best guitarist in the world but you know his brother gary says He's the best guitarist I've ever worked with, despite Johnny Marr being in the band for a couple of years. And I think he truly believes that because it is, they really have, and it goes back to the ethos, it's like that DIY punk thing of like, we have these tools, 
Um, you know, we might not be the most talented guys around, but we really believe in what we we do. We know this music really well and we're going to give a really good account of ourselves. That sounds very workmanlike. I think they have like flex of genius here and there. I think they've got the hooks to back it up and the romance to kind of make it a magical whole. But yeah, um, they're probably an acquired taste, but this is a very, very strong record. And if you need a starting point for them, uh, you could do a lot worse than this for sure. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's the headspace I'm in this week, but this album kind of felt twice its length to me at times. It just felt a bit too... There were times when I would be surprised that I was only four or five songs in. And also, I couldn't really unlock any emotion. Did you? Did you find any emotion in this? Oh, yeah. I thought there was a huge See, that, like, like this, this is the thing. Like, swirl I, of things. I, I, I just, I, did you I, not feel their pain? No, did I didn't. I, I really, really didn't. But I don't know. I mean, like, again, I mean, it could very well just be where I'm at at the moment. I mean, even watching the Maradona documentary, like, I, I only felt emotional today thinking about it, having seen it the night before. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I really, I tried. I tried to kind of walk with these guys but it just didn't quite happen and it's not that i didn't enjoy this i think it's above average i just don't think it's that much more and i feel like there is definitely some kind of frequency here that i'm just not hearing like i think i think what they do really well is um the light and shade and the gray areas and you know a song like screaming in suburbia which to me just screams of and again this is all kind of music that i love and i'm not talking about landfill indie i'm talking about the relationship with bands you know the likes of the replacements where you have these songs that in a different context could just be chart pop songs but they're scuzzed up and by virtue of maybe the playing being a bit rough and ready they become something different and they're always kind of stretching and straining for something just out of reach and maybe that's magic for me um and time and time again, that just came true. Like, Streaming in Suburbia is a huge anthem about, like, their childhood days, but it's not, like, pure nostalgia of, like, weren't they great? It's, like, conflicted. It's like, oh, yeah, there was a lot shitty about those times, and I'm not sure where I stand now. And, like, um, I'm standing on kind of quicksand a, a lot of the time. Um, I, I think they're very honest as a band. They feel genuine to me. I'm always loath to start talking about authenticity. Um, particularly in the last couple of years when like so many of our heroes have been taken down and you're just like yeah maybe we really do need to separate the art and just enjoy the kind of product and not be like okay we need to hold these people up as paragons of virtue but I do think what the Cribs do is a great blueprint for bands Um, I think they're on the right side of history for sure and they write great songs and yeah I think you know it's self-produced this time a lot of the guitar sounds are quite samey that works for me I think they're powerful it's like that kind of, it's not the abrasive thing they used to do. It's almost an ASMR, like white noise fuzz that I just sank into because it seemed so familiar with me. But maybe that's impenetrable for if you're not feeling it. But this totally worked for me. So, I mean, there are eight albums in now. I mean, not every band, especially ones that come out of this particular era, makes it to eight. Is this a full stop or is this a recharging of the batteries and the spirit? It feels like a recharging to me. Uh, the last record very much felt like like what tricks do we have left okay if we're going to do another record we'll get steve albini to you know do it for us um but i think what they've come through has been humongous and it's right there in the opening track where it's you know it's that great jaded kiss off thing they also do really well where it's basically like a fuck you to everyone that has been making their life an absolute misery but it's done with the sweetest melodies and as i say there's just in the context of me knowing their songs over the years and how aggressive and how like miserablest and how like self-defeating they can be 
this is like <laughs> these songs to me as a fan sound like 12 we are the champions <laughs> like do you know what i mean <laughs> which is a weird thing to say but it it screams to me that like this is phase two of the cribs and i'm all here for it for sure and I'm sure like that small kind of cultish fan base will be. Yeah, it's a it's a six out of ten for me. Like I appreciate what they're doing. I just don't think I'm really cut out for it personally, but I'm glad that you are. That's totally fair. And yeah, I'm gonna be kind of rinsing this one, I think. Um it's an eight out of ten for me. Okay. In the other listening corner, a couple of Irish tracks I mentioned last week that are gonna be out now as of this podcast dropping. Regera, the new project from Kubina and Murley, dropping its first single, Terrified, that's out now. And also The Assassination by Tandem Felix, friend of the show David Tapley, and a damn fine musician to boot. Um, should need no introduction. If you've never heard Tandem Felix before, get on Romcom, the album from last year, immediately but do that actually after you hear The Assassination, which is a song that could easily fit on there. It's great. And apart from that, um, of all things, I found myself listening to uh, Music for the Dilty Generation by The Prodigy and also Tarot Sport by Fuck Buttons. Just two very good wavy-washy dance albums that I kind of needed this week when I didn't want to hear too many lyrics. What about you? Um, There was a lot of Kanye action for sure. I had my little playthrough of my beautiful Dark Twisted Fancy and then, yeah, just kind of reordering all of those tracks that he sampled. So that was like a lot of my background listening. And then, of course, a real deep dive into Landfill Indie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, so that, that sets us up for a top five. Can you give us a calculated definition of Landfill Indie? Because I'm not even sure where the where the term originated. I, I can trace it back to at least the Huffington Post in 2012. It wasn't necessarily that Vice article with Johnny Burrell from a few years ago. So when did you first remember encountering it? What does it mean? And is it strictly the UK? My list is definitely UK centric, but I guess it could be worldwide. I don't know. Yeah, apparently it was coined in 2008 um, by a journalist for, I think, Word magazine. Um and it's always been a slightly disparaging thing, for sure. I did look at the voice guidelines from that piece that went everywhere, and they're a bit kind of contradictory. We've talked about it before, but it was a decent enough rough guide. Um, I also, I, I kind of cut out some of the American um, bands that came over and had success as part of that wave, because it was quite a like British thing, I think, really, at its essence. And what you're looking at is... It's not even, when we're initially talking about this, it's like, it's not even bands that followed in the wake of the Strokes and that like new rock revolution in the early 2000s. It's the ones that then tried to copy um, the first wave of bands that were copying the Strokes. So all the British types that picked up guitars following like the arrival of the likes of the Libertines, Franz Ferdinand, um, Block Party. Block Party were one, I'm like, oh, you could nearly say they were a bit landfill. Um, just because I remember reading about them in the enemy and like the review, like a live review of them being like, well, they're never going to be your favorite band, but they'll probably be your third favorite band. And they like, you know, definitely influenced by Franz Ferdinand. Um, but I left them off the hook. I think they were too good for that. What you're looking at is the, I guess, label scramble once it became clear that guitar music was back and the kind of bands with the somethings as names that got record deals, pretty massive record deals, like the last kind of hurrah of that kind of thing, and just started churning out, I guess, chart-orientated guitar rock music. My list is interesting because I was going for best, and I do think, like, Landfill Indie is, like, such a disparaging term. I couldn't really justify a lot of that, like, late, um, late kind of decade bands and albums and songs because at that point I was totally turned off to them. Some acts I'm going to try and re- rehabilitate and find like the, you know, the good points. And then there's a few tra- tracks in there that are just total jabs. Here's kind of what 
I think Landfill Indie sounds like right. And this is what Vice said was the final Landfill Indie song. It's a great song. Dave, I believe you like it as well. It does not fit because it's from the last decade. But let's give it a go. Yes! Oh man, that is a hot press anthem for the fucking ages. I love it. Yeah, so Spectre there uh, with Chevy Thunder, uh, led by Fred McPherson, I believe was his name. And when I interviewed him at the time, um, my subhead was like, he could be the next Johnny Burrell, but like less annoying. And then the less annoying bit was taken out um, in the final piece. But he was really an uh, interesting dude. Um, I knew you said annoying dude. He wasn't annoying at all. And that was like for Vice, the last hurrah. And that kind of makes sense. But I don't think this was Landfill Indie because I think the culture had moved on at this point. This was almost like a revival of Landfill Indie in 2012. Um, But it's got all the components, right? Does this kind of make sense to you as like following that blueprint of like big hooks, get straight to the chorus, supercharged, guitars up front, but clearly aiming for the radio, right? Man, I thought Spectre were going to be fucking huge. And I was genuinely shocked when they weren't. Yeah, Chevy Thunder is an absolute belter. There's a song on that record as well called Grey Shirt and Tie, which I really like. It's basic enough, but I just thought it had some nice sentiment to it. And then they made a bit of a brief kind of not really come back a few years later. They had a song called All the Sad Young Men, which I also really enjoyed. They had something and then it just didn't quite work. I thought, well, this is designed to work. How will this not work? And it just didn't. But like, I think that's the thing. If they had have arrived in like 2007, they would have been massive and still now doing like, you know, anniversary tours of like the albums and stuff. But the time, the times had changed and passed them by, unfortunately. Okay. So look, we're doing best and worst. I presume best should kick us off or I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. I'll get, yeah, I think so. I'll get into it first. Um, And yeah, this was a tough one. Um, Some will be songs that just reminded me of the times. And as I say, then some are just kind of trying to rehabilitate some certain acts. Um, this one is definitely very of the time. It reminds me of like straw boaters, floral pattern dresses, like ridiculously cheap deals on like alcohol pops that look like nuclear waste. Um, and at the time this came out, I remember thinking this is going to age horribly. And I don't think it has really actually. Have a listen. And we're winding up straight in your sneakers And I'm dancing like every song He's been to piss all like all my dance heroes Word if they exist and yet sad You think that we're all just singers And even if we were it's not the senior Thinking of just taking cross From nice boy band fashions Or crop tops and testosterone passion If there's one thing I could never confess It's that I can't dance a single step Yeah, Los Campesinos there with you, me, dancing. Lots of exclamation marks that were quite popular at the time. It's taken from their 2008 debut album, Hold On Now, Youngster. Um, And this is um, kind of as twee as you can get with it still being bearable. It's an absolute tune. 
Um, it's a song totally about this era. Um, and Los Campesinos, we've reviewed more recent albums on this very show. Um, they're a Cardiff proposition. Um, seven members strong, I believe. And yeah, quite like Welsh, but I think Garrett David's like indie yelp there could have equally be coming from like the southern counties right across the British Isles. Like that kind of affectation appeared quite a lot and then got quite worn out, I think, for sure. But yeah, this just screams of like crawdaddy nights and mentions of scenesters, of course, at a time when like that seemed like such an important thing that most songs should be about how fake people were within their own scenes. It's just totally like an indie club snapshot of the time, but it's infectious, right, Dave? Oh, yeah. No, listen, I mean, like, this is just the right side of obnoxious, which is what Lost yeah. Campesinos is for me. Um, and I, this is my customary, I've said it probably about 15 times in this podcast before, but, like, their album No Blues from 2013 is a genuine masterpiece, I think. And it's significantly less kind of this style but it's still got that kind of you know that frontman gareth he's very very fond of his you know he's basically walking thesaurus and that kept up across their career the most recent album six scenes which is still very good not as good as no blues there's definitely a place for lost campesinos i mean they're kind of like you know the island of misfit toys of this kind of scene and it works for them i mean their whole kind of isn't isn't like every member it's like it's gareth campesinos they're all called that kind of shit and it's very yeah it's all very which is very enemy circa that yeah, area as well. yeah yeah but this is yeah, so- to be fair like this is one of those songs that has managed to kind of stand the test of time in, in the 10 years whatever it's been i remember where I was, I was working in like a phone store and I was making cool playlists, man. And then of course it's on like ads for, I guess, fucking Coors Light or whatever. But like I say, it's just, it's just the right side of whimsical without it being too, you know, abrasive and annoying. It's kind of, it lets you in on the joke and it's a good fucking song. It's got good melodies. It's got good instrumentation. Um, One it, man's it trash does, is another man's treasure perhaps, but I, yeah. but I love it. In a way, it, it feels older than just like 12 years or whatever, doesn't it? Because it's such a different world and a different vibe. And yeah, there was a lot of those songs at the time where it's like talking about the scene and like self-referential to like like even stuff like, do you remember Vincent Vincent, I think, and the villains? They had like a song called Johnny Two Bands that was like about one of their former members who left and then started like the rumble strips do you remember that oh the rumble strips just all those kind of songs going on yeah um songs about songs and songs about like what happened down the indie club maybe to set the scene a little bit more we'll introduce uh the infamous amy the indie who i think was a 17 year old that the bbc followed around for a day to um just take in um the vibe of the time let's have a little listen hi i'm amy i'm 17 and i'm an indie. The three main things that sort of define indie. You got to read the anime, that's a bit like the indie bible. Hairspray, that's like the holy water I guess. And uh, you got to go to lots of gigs, be really into music, that's important, yeah. You got to wear clothes that you know, your grandma would have worn back in the day, that is important, even if you look bad. They have to be vintage. A lot of people say that we, we like have spray on jeans. It doesn't phase us, you know. I have a pair of jeans that went when I sit down, they, they hurt my legs. I get pins and needles after five minutes. But it's great. Now, Craig, I. It's pins and needles. <laughs> I hope you're not about to mercilessly take the piss out of a wide eyed 17 year old girl living her dreams, right? Oh, dude, at the time I was like taking notes. I'm like, yeah, nodding along. I'm like, yeah, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
for sure. And you know what? The comments didn't phase us. Are you about to phase me, Dave, at your number five? I absolutely am, yeah. So, of course, I'm on worst territory, as always, but we may well mix it up in the future. But for now, I, th- I feel like I'm a strong authority on this, you know? And like I say, it was very difficult to get this down to just five. It was fucking tough, but I'm happy with my selections. At number five for me... Um, referring to a device that we really shouldn't be really queuing up for these days, but you may well know it. Oh, I know You betcha. That's hard fi and cash machine. Now, Craig, I want to test you with each one of my selections. Can you name the parent album that this song is from? Um, yeah, was it Stars of CCTV? That's 10 points to you. Let's see how you do at Thank the end you. of these five. Yeah, it's hard fi, of course. English rock band from Stains Upon Thames, which sounds like something that you'd see in like fucking... Uh, I don't know, some kind of wacky vice skit. But no, they're a real yeah. band from a real place talking about real things like cash machines and being hard to beat and, of course, living for the weekend. Um, a very, very enemy-championed band. Very of their time. Um, this song, as described by their frontman Richard Archer, is about having no money. Um, however, the song is much deeper than that, it says here. Tells of the kind of life that Archer may have lived before reaching success. And, you know, just having the trappings of fame come along and that kind of stuff. Uh, Hardfire, one of those acts that, like, they kind of came and went, right? I mean, like, to me, they were as paper thin as this kind of music gets. It's not offensive, but it's really nothing, right? It is really nothing. Hard to Beat was maybe the catchiest song, but it's that kind of, like, thing of they're going for a facsimile of the jam, maybe. And the songs are kind of about society and politics, but... They're not really saying anything and they were massive. I remember when um, the debut album came out, it was selling by the Shedlows and I wasn't a big fan. I think I remember thinking at the time, okay, we've jumped the shark here or at least this kind of music is now being co-opted by a totally different audience for sure. Um, And then what happened to them? uh, The one thing I remember about the second album, which I think was called Once Upon a Time in the West, um, was the cover art debacle. Do you remember this? It said so, no cover art so that iPods couldn't steal their fucking image rights or something. Yeah, they were making a statement about iPods and <laughs> they decided that they wouldn't have any cover art for their album. So instead they had what was essentially cover art just saying no cover art. <laughs> and it was just them in every interview having to explain what was going on um, not much talk about the tunes if there were any on the second album and I think that was the last I heard of them yeah can you remember the lead single for that album by any chance I think it went to number one and it was their last big hurrah and it had a real oh. like hey, 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 
like kind of like refrain it was a bit larry was it i, I can't it was, remember it was a bit larry it might shock you it was called suburban nights um, oh nights with a k yes with a k yeah absolutely but let's go back to cash machine here and stars of cctv okay so yes enemy of course were very very enamored by this uh their review their nine out of ten review at the time back in 2005 wow Started started with the opening sentence, the actual opening sentence. Lock up your iPods, Middle England. Here come Generation Asbo, and then it goes on. <laughs> <laughs> then it goes on to talk about how like Hardfi are like this like the surveillance state, and they're like watching all the fil- undercover filth, you know, uh, harassing all the young folk, and this is real anthemic stuff. Uh, here's a few excerpts from it, right? Uh, Hardfi know that in 2005's wilderness of Blairite betrayal, they are the voice of the new ghost town. Screw all your traditional values and decent working families bullshit, Mr. Blair. Here's the news. Hardfi are England. Oh, wow. Uh, then, and of course, it ends. The, the it enemy ends. literally formed out of those words on the page. <laughs> like They just manifested above that page. The fucking ending of this review, I swear, it actually reads as follows. So, should we run through the charge sheet one more time? 11 counts of aggravated pop originality, an assault with a deadly hook, several charges of grievous cultural (laughs) significance and defining a generation without a license. Looks like you're going down for album of the year, sunshines. Fired what? immediately. Like, can you imagine being really? the editor? I swear to God, th- look it up. It's real. This is a real review. Uh, and do you know what the ironic thing is? Like, they're talking about Asbo culture and like this being music for the teens. I remember the one thing I remember Heartfly was like the singer. They'd been around for years. I think the singer had kind of struggled in like pub bands for years. He was maybe into his thirties. This was like his last kind of chance to make it big. And I think he just like seized the zeitgeist and was like, "Okay, guitars are in." Um, I'm just going to make some quid, uh, which I can then take out of a cash machine. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, um, they were one of those bands. They're kind of like, you know, the Stranglers were a pub rock band in the 70s and then they like punk happened and they're suddenly punks. I think that was hard fight. But yeah, a good choice. I'm going to go into blokier territory as well, Dave, for my number four. This is a a kind of a defense of um, an act and I believe when the landfill indie article came out, I think it was around that time, Zara Hederman was on social media wondering out loud about whatever became of this band. And I think the lead singer answered her directly or very annoyed people then answered her just being like, they're still going strong. They're brilliant. Here's for me their best song. Yeah, so, Dave, do you know the band? Of course, it's Glass Vegas, mate. Glass it's Vegas, Geraldine. Baby. This is a belter. I love this song. I've got fond memories of Glass Vegas hanging around the hot press tent after their interview wearing all white denim back yes. at Electric Picnic some year or whatever. Sorry, before we focus on this incredible gem of a song, 
Um, you mentioned Zara Hedeman there. You mentioned her propensity to every few months get into some kind of Twitter spot with a famous person. Did yeah. you see what happened to her there last week when she tweeted about James Blunt's You're Beautiful and said that she was confused by the lyrics? He fucking DM'd her. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a terse response as well, wasn't it? I, I believe her question was, what was the plan that he, he speaks of um, and then never really gets back to in the song? Like, but I have a plan. And then his response was, the plan was the chorus. Yeah. I didn't really understand. Well, we're not the artists plan, like he is, so... But did he mean the plan was to... We'll have to get Sarah on to, to figure this out, but the plan was to just sing the chorus and that would win her over, or the plan was just that she was beautiful? I don't know. Ultimately, I think it's a very dangerous game to provoke the James <laughs> Blunt thing on Twitter, so I think she knew what she was doing, but, I mean, to be yeah. fair, he usually, like... He usually bodies people. He just politely DM'd her. So it was probably the best that exchange could have gone. As far for as sure. other exchanges, though, talk about this song, which I love hate relationship, but I think it is good. Yeah, I think I picked this particularly because I think Las Vegas get ragged on quite a bit and they definitely get thrown in with that, like, oh, they're just very blokey and meat and potatoes. And I think they were a good bit more than that, than that in fairness. Like their their sound when they arrived was almost... Well, they initially started doing kind of weird rockabilly doo-wop stuff that sounded totally alien and inventive. And then they got rid of that for the debut album and it became like, I guess, like landfill shoegaze, like wall of sound. Um, but I remember when they first emerged and it was very landfill indie because it was Alan McGee of, you know, formerly Creation Records and Signing Oasis and all that kind of stuff, who was just like championing them. And this is all I remember from my teen years. He would like every couple of years he'd reemerge and just be like, this guy's the new Kurt Cobain or blah, blah, blah. And then all the acts would just disappear. And it was like a really grainy YouTube video of him talking to camera with James Allen, the singer from Las Vegas, sitting quietly beside him. And Alan McGee is just like, this guy's the new Joe Strummer. He's the greatest songwriter of his generation. And per James Allen is just sitting there kind of looking like, is this guy for real? Do I have to speak at some point? Can I not just like... James Allen seems like a real just like, I'm just enjoying my music, mate. Just let me get on with it. Three points, you know. Everyone everyone played (laughs) well. Um, The album overall, that debut album, it was nominated for a Mercury Prize, I think. What's it called again? It's got some like flowery titles, isn't it? No, it was self-titled. I think the the second album got a bit flowery. Um, I didn't get the second album. Um, But... It was quite good. It was a little overwrought, but there were some good songs on it. And I think, you know, they were going for the realism in their lyrics, which was handled so badly by so many landfill indie bands. But they had a real kind of sensitivity um, and empathy to the songs. And I think, you know, this is a belter. It's actually a true story about a social worker called Geraldine, who apparently gave up her job to just like follow the band around. She was that enamored with them, Um, just kind of helped them out. Um, So it was like an ode to her. I think there's some quite touching lines in there. And they've other songs like Daddy's Gone and stuff that just work in a kind of sweet, naive way. They kind of speak to the human condition in a way that I don't think they're given credit for. And live, they were actually very good. Like they're just, you know, when you hear them do it live, they do kind of overwhelm you and you suddenly go, okay, I get it. Now, I think, you know, when I got the debut album, I expected great things and I was a little underwhelmed. And from there... They didn't really go on to do much for me. I know they're still going and fair play to them. But uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to give them a shout out because I think there was more to them than what they were lumped in with. Yeah, they are still going. As a matter of fact here, um, they have a new album due out in 2021, apparently on the 2nd of April. A new record called Godspeed, which will mark their first album in eight years, should arrive. The second one, by the way, was called Euphoric Heartbreak. Um, Yeah, I, I think it is a good song. I mean, like, they didn't quite live up to the hype. That's That's for sure. But... 
I don't know. Like it remind this reminds me of kind of songs like Velvet by The Big Pink, which was a much better song than Dominoes, which was their song that kind of had a bit of a short shelf life. Yeah. It was just this kind of like I mean I I like this time as well. Like I like you know whether it was Lost Campesinos or Las Vegas. This kind of 2007-2008 time was very, very formative for me. It was around the time when I started getting properly into, like, the hype machine and pretentious music forums and that kind of stuff. And there was a there was a real sense of discovery. I was, I was fucking devouring everything. And some songs would end up on my little Sony MP3 player and Las Vegas Geraldine was one of them. So, yeah, great fucking choice, dude. I like this a lot. Um, nice. I want to say at this juncture, before I move on to my number four, back in the worst column, of course... Um, I'm just going to put it out there right now. Chelsea Dagger by the Fratellis is not on my list. And here's why. Because it's too obvious a choice, number one. And number two, I feel like it's kind of the song that all of these bad songs are enthralled to, like some kind of demon. It's like the 10th circle of hell of not just landfill indie, but music itself. And so it just felt like I couldn't quite just slot in a number one and be like, yeah, look, it's Chelsea Dagger. I mean, like it is, don't get me wrong, fucking poison in song form and i despise it like few other things in the world but i've left it out of this top five however at number four um i feel like this could be the bastard children of the fratellis see if you're with me Cut your hair, you horrible little oik. It's The View. It's same jeans. Everyone's dressing up. I'm dressing down. I hate this with the fury of a thousand suns. Craig, can you name the album? Uh, hats off to the buskers. Well done. I was going to say, <laughs> if you didn't know it, I was going to give you a clue and just say, like, riptide movement and see how you did with that one. Um, yeah, I like. there's not a lot to say about this one. I will say that, like... This ran it super close with Goodbye Mr. A by the Hoosiers, and in the end, Ooh, I went yeah. with... I decided that the Goodbye Mr. A song was ultimately fairly harmless, and perhaps more pop, and perhaps more in on the joke, whereas this is just the ultimate in. It's so arrogant, it's so generic, it's so listless. Everything from the lyrics to the half-arsed vocals, to the fucking harmonica, to the non-chorus, to the fact that it was somehow everywhere in every fucking top man that you walked into in 2007 and it was like a it was like a, a make your own indie boy like with this Carl Falconer at the front of the band and uh, I just hate it I, I, I just think it has nothing to say about anything and is just designed to annoy me quite frankly yeah um, the view were they did mark a sea change for sure because they were um, I believe they're from Dundee but just like kind of identikit libertines wannabes to the point where it's like Wasted Little DJs and um, Superstar Tradesmen, I think, just had the total libertine sound just down pat to an uncanny valley level. Um, but the thing about them, and I think they're way better songs than this one, which this song always annoyed me, um, was like there were, again, songs about nothing really. Like this is just a song about 
a pair of jeans. I know you've, a, you know, a dislike for the Libertines, but my God, at least they were telling narratives and they were kind of literary and they were fucking, you know, they had big ideas. It wasn't just like, I'm going to fucking talk about going to an indie club and how great I am because I'm a smelly bastard. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry, by the way, can I just, can I just intervene here once and say that like, Wearing the same pair of jeans for four days in a row is not that big of a crime, I don't think. I mean, yeah, fine, if it's your underwear, yes, I understand what you're saying, but, like, jeans? Unless you fucking, like, fell in the mud or I, something. Oh, yeah, but I feel like this was a continuous, like, situation, right? He's out in the like, piss. a lack of sleep. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Don't think, I don't think he was, like, folding his jeans at night and going to bed and, like, showering and then put... You know what I mean? I think oh, this was so just it's like, uh, it's falling like a, asleep in various gaffes and yeah, it's on like the a road. 90, and, like, like a 96-hour period of constantly having them on. Okay, fair enough. That makes a bit more sense. But um, like, yeah, maybe maybe sure. the lyrics were just too complex for me. Someone who they weren't too complex for was Jeff Ellis, who runs Tea in the Park. The View have played there eight times a record apparently and he says the view can play every year under my watch if they want to which is the greatest threat that music itself has ever received yeah i just find this to be disturbingly throwaway and way too proud of itself and it's it's even produced terribly it just sounds like trash i fucking hate it now i'm told that this debut album is actually pretty good but i'll never listen to it because of this song yeah as i say like the aforementioned songs there are at least constructed quite well it's interesting i was reading um Johnny Burrell, Johnny Borrell's interview from a couple of years ago where he talked through like the key records of Landfill Indie. And he was really interesting and like illuminating about the whole thing and like kind of blaming himself a bit. But anyway, he talked about The View and what he was saying about them was that there was clearly like some talent there from a musical level, like they could play their instruments and construct a song. But they were um, kind of victims of Landfill in that they were signed as like 16 or 17 year olds Maybe it's almost like a stripe situation, <laughs> but it's just like, oh, there's money to be made here. And they didn't have the crucial five years to develop, have their own voice and do something a bit creative. And this is what you get. And I think that's kind of bang on. Fair play, Johnny. All right. My next choice. I was like totally shocked that they were omitted from the voice list. And I don't even know if they were mentioned whatsoever, because I feel like they're quintessential landfill. Um, the bad, the cynical... And the occasionally very slept on God. Show what's truly altruistic anymore. And every good thing that I do is listed. And you keep in score. That's not a competition, but I'm winning. Love's not a competition, but I'm winning. So a bit more um, of a downcast Kaiser Chiefs there than you're used to. Um, That was Love's Not a Competition, parentheses, but I'm winning, which, you know, great for the title alone. Very, like, you know, prime era Morrissey from the album Yours Truly Angry Mob, which I think was 2007 as well. And yeah, I mean, like round about 2005 when this wave truly kicked off, Kaiser Chiefs came straight out of the gates with the formula down pat, right? I Predict a Riot, um, all of those kind of songs, oh my God, were just repeated so much by far inferior bands. Um, I had no great love for a lot of their stuff. I do think there was some good songwriting in there. Um, and there's tracks you can pick from across their catalogue that I think Dave even you like. Um, it's true, um, listener. There's at least two <laughs> songs I like, and I can't believe that this isn't one of them, but continue. 
Yeah, well, like there's the likes of um, I Dare You. There was kind of latter day songs that were great, but again, from a different decade. So I was like, I don't know if this quite counts. This was slap, slap bang in the middle of the whole period. This was on the same album, I believe, as Ruby, which is a horrendous song. Oh, Jesus. I was just immediately sick of. So this was kind of like the good and the bad, the yin and the yang. And yeah, they were like pure landfill to me because, again, a little like Hard Fight, they'd been going for years. I think they were called something like Parva. Um, they couldn't get a record deal to save their lives. They reinvented themselves when the whole Libertines, Franz Ferdinand thing happened. They're like, cool, we'll just write songs about like regional nights out, do big courses and we'll make some money. Then you'd like Ricky Wilson, singer, ending up as like a voice UK judge. They've brought in like a team of songwriters, like pop songwriters since, just keep them afloat. And their main songwriter, Nick Hodgson, who was the one with talent, has since left. And he penned a lot of these kind of like heartfelt um, little vignettes that we've just heard. And I think there's some good stuff there. But yeah, um, he was certainly slept on as a songwriter, I think. And the rest of the band, I can take or leave. You mentioned the song I Dare You there, which honestly is fucking incredible and everyone should go check it out. It was on that weird album they brought out and I want to say 2011 or 2012 where it was like, yeah. pick your own Kaiser Chiefs album. There was like 25 songs available on some, I don't know how you even constructed it, but like you could pick your own 10 and I Dare You is like in that list. It's just a really great straight ahead melancholic stomper and it's excellent and the other song I love by Kaiser Chiefs is of course The Modern Way which I think is a great great song Um, but apart from that I really did carry a hot knife for this band for many many years Um, I found them to be just the worst excesses of the Larry bullshit same time though I have to give them some credit because I did see them live at Oxygen in 2008 and that was a hell of a fucking day let me tell you because the reason it was like my first proper music festival I went to Ozfest in 2001 or I think it was 2002 one of those years and that was like um, it was a one day event in Punchestown so I'd never been to like a proper weekend festival 2008 Rage Against the Machine are announced for Oxygen and I'm like I'm going it's happening I'm finally doing it and of course I went bought my ticket got my tent uh, incredible day out but or three days out rather and on the third day um, Rage Against Machine are headlining and I'm like okay well this is why I'm here I need to see this band so I went down to queue for the pit and the way it worked was you got in if you left you had to queue up all over again you weren't given passes so fair enough I guess that makes sense but like first of all it was a, r- a fucking boiling hot day and I was told prepare for rain it was roasting hot I got really fucked up got really bad sun damage I'm pretty sure I got some kind of sunstroke but like I missed um, the infamous MGMT uh, performance in a tent where people were climbing the rafters and they had to stop the set. I missed Flog and Molly. I missed uh, Band of Horses. I, re- I wanted to see all of them. Instead, Craig, because whoever fucking pr- promoted this stage or programmed it on the Sunday, what kind of practical joke were they playing? I missed the Coronas on the main stage, but I caught the ending of the Kooks and then I had to stay there while I was developing, like, x-men like heat powers and being like i'm going to die i had to sit through stand through all of the fratellis and then the kaiser chiefs before rage against the machine finally came on now i will say that the kaiser chiefs kind of won the day to a degree because the same crowd that were pissing into fucking beer cups and throwing them at the fratellis were doing the same thing to the kaiser chiefs the kaiser chiefs knew that they had a hostile crowd of rage against the machine fans who did not want them there and to their credit and to ricky wilson's credit they made it work and they played the crowd off each other. They fed off the hate. 
They fucking commanded the crowd, ironically, to do circle pits, which they did, but that just created a really good atmosphere. And they managed to actually rise to the occasion in a way that I did not see coming. So they have my respect for that, and they have my respect for I Dare You and for uh, The Modern Way. But yeah, I mean, like, it, they're a strange band. You did interview the drummer, didn't you, the, the chief songwriter before? Yeah, it was for that The Future's Medieval album, um, and he was clearly, at that point, kind of done with the band and yeah they just like a bunch of songs that they're trying to it was such a weird i think way of trying to um arrest the kind of streaming slide of like oh if you pre-order the album you can listen to snippets and then choose your own adventure didn't quite work he was a really down to earth interesting dude i believe he's just like a songwriter producer now i'm sure he's doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes um but yeah i i think there was kind of some depth to his writing, particularly on songs like this. But the rest of the band, fair play to them. But just total, like, as you say there, they're just, like, good old-fashioned entertainers, really. And that's what Landfill was. What's your number three, Dad? Well, back in the worst corner, I mean, we've talked about a band there that actually, to my surprise, had some redeeming features. So here's a band with no redeeming features whatsoever. <laughs> On the 17th of October of this year, the Irish Times ran a cover story in their weekend magazine entitled 75 Reasons to be Cheerful. It boasted contributions from the likes of former President Mary McAleese, iconic lovesick crooner Chris DeBerg, tarnished at Leo Varadkar, and celebrity biochemist and COVID-19 rent-a-quote Dr. Luke O'Neill, who remarked, and I quote, Music is, of course, our saviour in every situation, and one song I've been playing lately is just so wacky that it gets me every time. It's by a Welsh band called The Automatic, and it's called Monster. The lyrics are, what's that coming over the hill? Is it a monster? Is it a monster? Now, the monster could be the next phase of this damn pandemic, but I like to think of it as the cavalry coming to rescue us. Do yourself a favour and play it. It'll make you smile. Craig, you put your hands over your face. I didn't quite see if you were smiling. Yeah, I was just hiding my massive smile. Um, uh, Once Wacky is introduced, yeah, another example of just this kind of music suddenly becoming utterly meaningless. The band clearly putting no effort into it outside of writing the big massive hook. And this was everywhere. This is, there's a nice synchronicity here because I feel like songs like I Predict a Riot and Oh My God then birthed this horrible being, this monster. Like, this is totally based off... This just wants to be a Kaiser Chiefs banger, right? Well, yeah. I mean, also, like, you're spot on with the idea of it being so throwaway because, like, the track's music was composed by James Frost and frontman Robin Hawkins with the original incarnation featuring a different chorus, both musically and lyrically. But it was your classic placeholder of, like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll think of something oh. better 
But then they just didn't. The lyrics stuck, and then they used it in a demo, and next thing you know... Uh, I like this note here that says, Many of the lyrics are metaphors for drug and drink intoxication, uh, with the chorus yeah. being a, a metaphor for the monster that comes out when people are drunk. Uh, it's very So it's very sophisticated. Um, there was an interview with Rob Hawkins in 2008 with Digital Spy, where he was asked if he viewed the success of this song, because it is very much a one-hit wonder situation for them, uh, as a blessing or a curse. He said, Definitely a blessing. We wrote a song that did really well. I don't really see what there is to get upset about. You get labelled one-hit wonders, but that's more hits than most people have. And it's not like we've disappeared without a trace. Uh, I don't know about that. But then later on... Much uh, like COVID probably <laughs> won't. <laughs> um, he go, they're like, so being called the monster band doesn't bug you. Who the fuck referred to the automatic as the monster band? He said, it's one we're expected to play live, but it's not like it's the only song people like. That would bug me. I do wish we didn't always get asked, what's that coming over the hill? But everything else is all right. And then finally, he's asked, what's the weirdest place you've ever heard this song being played? He said, yeah. we've heard it in some pretty weird places. I've heard they sing it in Scottish prisons when they bring the paedophiles in. That's pretty what? weird. That got dark. What the fuck? Can you imagine that scene? Of all the songs, like to. Football Terrace Anthem Monster by The Automatic. like Yeah. I, w- I was thinking weirdest places I've heard it and it was more along the football thing. Like, I have a bit of an admission, right? I occasionally have been known to stick on um, US ra- or UK radio station Talk Sport if I'm like out for a run and for I want to get sake, them. Craig. If, if I'm... <laughs> Come on. If it's like, say, half nine in the evening, right? And there's like... 10 minutes left of a Champions League match and I want to hear how it goes I'll just stick on the commentary so TalkSport has the rights to those games but it means that you get bits of like TalkSport and the ads and stuff and for people that don't know TalkSport it's just like I don't know for it's probably like the home of Brexit supporters it's just like you know white fan men I suppose um and the ads bear that out for sure because it's all like ads for van insurance just motor and stuff and football and Monster, every time I've checked out a game, Monster has been used as like a jingle. For I can't even remember the way it's used, but it's just like so horrendous. Like, what's that coming over the hill? And then it's like the, the fucking company name for like van repairs. And I'm just like, <laughs> of course, this is so like the logical end point for this song. Well, <laughs> you know, it's ended up. the logical end point for them has actually been like uh, them essentially getting into domestic contentment according to an article I read a oh, Wales okay, a Wales online piece called In Search of the Automatic from just this year there's a very very nice moment where the journalist says the band's frontman and bass player and drummer have agreed to be interviewed for uh, for this piece via phone in, an- in another dimension all three of us are sat in the pub sharing an ice cool pint but that's lockdown fantasies for you so there you go Craig your lockdown fantasy is to be in prison this journalist fantasy is to be hanging out with the automatic uh, as far as i'm aware one of them is a software developer now and the other one is a trainee accountant and a married dad of one but they you know they, they'd still love to go back and give it another go i should note i haven't really weighed in on the song it's obviously terrible i think it's fairly self-explanatory whatever luke o'neill says i don't know what his opinions are about covid19 but his opinions about music can go the fuck in the bin yeah for sure okay um my runner-up is um from a band that have declared themselves anti-landfill I'm putting them in because, as I said previously, I think they were just like a kind of secret agent in there. Quite similar, a bit aligned, but just fighting and kicking against the pricks. Here you go.
Sorry, Craig, before you reveal this, by the way, just in terms of title and song and statement, I forgot my quiz. Can you name the Automatics album that this that, that song was on? Um, I feel like it started with an A. It wasn't like a pol- no apologies accept- accepted or something like that. You're very close. It was not accepted anywhere. Not accepted anywhere. Yeah. Very. Oh, yeah. I, I'll give you a half Apology point. Accepted I'll give you a half between point. Song. <laughs> you, got, you got two and a <laughs> half you. so far. Who is this? Sorry. Okay. Sorry. This is the Cribs. We were just talking about. Them. I thought it was, um, and I was like, "That's yeah. cheating." It's our bovine public. Is it cheating? though? I felt like this was like my protest um, vote because I realized over the course of this week that I really wasn't a fan of landfill indie whatsoever. By the time all this stuff started cropping up, I was just like, I already had my favourites. I was resentful of the copyists. And the cribs were very much... The thing about Landfill, Dave, is that like it doesn't discriminate between the stuff in there. And this is kind of a case, I think, of a band like sounding enough like what was around and having like the name The Cribs to be carried on this rubbish heap. But actually, like if you get the metal detector out, there's gold in this na- landfill. And um, yeah, this is just an example of one of many songs they had where it's just like a blistering attack on all their contemporaries, basically saying they're generic as fuck. Um, they're ripping them off and they've got nothing whatsoever to say. Um, I think it's great. And I think it's got that just like righteous roar. It's Paul Westerbergian almost. The guitar lines are great hooks. It's off maybe their most successful album, Men's Needs, Women's Needs, whatever, which was 2007, 2008. Um, and yeah, it just had really poppy numbers on there. It was great. It's a total just like fuck the wombat song, which is fine by me. <laughs> what what do you got against the wombats? I don't Besides know. the obvious. You know, I'm not even sure I've ever heard the wombats. I saw it's them just live. The name. They're at that same <laughs> oxygen. So were Vampire Weekend, by the way. That was an incredible weekend. I love wow. I saw Feeder. Feeder were there. Um feet are always good for laugh. Our feet, feet are, good. are kind of like the, the, the grandfathers of or the godfathers of landfill indie for sure, right? So like, like it's that point I think, you know, Johnny Burrell talked about how there was really interesting stuff happening and inventive stuff and like um just people taking chances. But then the the end point was it just circled back to being like the stereophonics and feeder and it just became that kind of radio rock. Yeah, I mean, we were flicking through the channels last Friday night and Just A Day came on. That's a bit of a tune. And Book Rogers some was great a great songs. Fun. Yeah, I'm being harsh on Feeder. Ah, to be fair, nice watch, when they played Book Rogers, when they played the intro to Book Rogers, uh, Grant Nicholas made a point of slowing it down and like specifically paying tribute to the Pixies and being like, yeah, we completely ripped the song off, but like, it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, look, The Cribs, we talked all about them earlier in the show. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. Good choice, Craig. And now Thank for you. my number two, my silver medal in the horrible landfill indie pile for the week. I'm flat out just punishing Craig's ears now and yours too, listener. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so the lads!
the wounded, sexy strains of the Kooks, and she moves in her own way. What album is it from, Craig? Um, oh God, it's something to do with like in and out. There's a slash. There's a slash in the middle of it, so it's kind of reflective. Yeah. yeah. What is it? It's not like inside, outside, or something like that. Let me, let me, Ooh. let me have a second. Oh, am I close? I'm close. You're, you're so close. <laughs> like, the Kooks with their debut album. People screaming, nah, screaming into their it's, phone. It's right not going to come to me. What is it? It's inside in, inside out. Oh, so, fuck. Yeah, you were close. Why don't you take this one? I know how much you love this song. <laughs> um, I think this is very representative of another aspect of landfill indie, which is like these guys came from that Brit school, um, which was just like a conveyor belt of careerist indie rockers and quite middle class lads, which I guess there's nothing really wrong with, but it just was overtaken, I think, the scene by these kind of guys. And yeah, the kooks were massive um, and clearly just custom built for, again, radio hits. Like this is just unapologetically, it wants to be massive. Um, Whilst giving like some kind of nods and concessions to like, oh, you know, they've got haircuts and they wear cardigans and there's a guitar in it. But apart from that, yeah, I, I was nearly like I was tempted. There's one kook song I like. Um, I don't know if you like any kook songs. I don't think so. No. What the song is it? I was thinking of was Eddie's Gone. I was going to say, it's a Jackie is, Big Tits, is it? <laughs> oh, man, I forgot that existed. Um, no, it is not. It is Eddie's Gone. It's like mercifully short. It's only about two minutes. And the hooks on it are really good. And it's a song where he basically admits to... Um, not being able to perform for a lady. And I was like, okay, that's fairly fair play to him for coming out and saying it. I went back, I was picking out the clip. I was maybe going to put it at number five and just his voice. I was like, this voice is responsible for so much. Like that Yelp, all those little hiccupy bits. Every singer just started ripping off that. Um, a very influential band. Um, <laughs> just- I hate them. I, yeah, I, hate I hate them, Craig. Them well. I just hate them. Uh, I, I hate them. So I, I think ultimately everything about this the fucking so happy with itself guitar lick there and his vocals my god so yeah listen i mean ultimately the kooks are terrible they 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 should be known for being terrible and they should also be known for this absolutely glorious exchange between the lads and simon amstel on pop world back in the day please enjoy the next 60 seconds because i know i do you were at music college together Mm -hmm. uh tell me is it true you went to stage school before the music college? <laughs> what, what? Wait, can we stop talking about the stage school? What is it? It's hilarious. hilarious. I, love, I love it when people say stage school. It's hilarious. There's, uh, there's no shame in this room. <laughs> no, no. It's just, um, you know, it's just people come to our gigs and expect cabaret, cabaret. I don't want you to feel, you know, any shame about uh, going to stage school. There's nothing wrong with it. It's fine to sing and dance um, and be happy and smile. Have you seen yeah. The Sound of Music? Um... Those kids were quite happy yeah. doing it, and they were being persecuted by the Nazis. <laughs> I think if we had done that, I think we'd be proud of it, you know. So, hang on. But we just, just You d- didn't go to stage school? We did music at a place where they do that kind of thing, but it's not stage school. It's, you know, it's just... It, 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 I suppose you could call it stage school if you wanted to, but I wouldn't describe it that way, because we, you know, did music. 
Okay, it's important we define things in a way that we're comfortable. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a stage well, school. It, okay, it's a stage. We went to stage school. You went we're to stage school. stage school. Okay, right, yeah. I think we've made a breakthrough. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, <laughs> I think. You know, the counselling's really starting to work. You know, I was in such denial. Incredible, isn't it? It's worth that five hundred pound an hour. You know. Yeah. So they went to stage school. Um, Glad we got that clarified. Yeah, a sound thrashing from Simon Am still there. So, um, quick question for you about the kooks, right? You've got wavy hair. Some could say it's indie boy hair. Not quite as tousled and manicured as Luke Pritchard over here. Did you ever go that level of just whacking in the gel? Did he use a lot of gel? Like, to me, he it's always just shiny. seemed like he was very close to a perm, I think. Like, there was a <laughs> lot of ringlet action going on there that I can't naturally do. So I would have had to, I think, go to a salon maybe and ask for a Pritchard which I mercifully never did. Okay, we haven't lived. Uh, Last note on these boys. According to this, their music is primarily influenced by the 1960s British invasion movement and post-punk revival of the new millennium. The Kooks have experimented in several genres, including rock, Britpop, pop, reggae, ska, and funk and hip-hop, being described as, quote, a more energetic thrills or a looser Sam Roberts (laughs) band, maybe even a less severe Arctic Monkeys at times. Do you agree? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I probably agree with that. There's another, I think, more accurate description of them, and I've just dug it out. It is, again, the return of uh, Johnny Barrell talking about Landfill Indie, and the quote in relation to the kooks is, um, so he says, someone in the industry once told me that the way Razorlight were perceived in the biz was exactly halfway between The Clash and Busted, and with some chagrin, I kind of had to go, yeah, all right, fair enough. But using that same scale, I think the kooks were probably the missing link between Razorlight and McFly. Oh, wow. That's fucking brutal. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Uh, back to good, though. Number one for you, okay. Craig, this week. Number one, and you've just had a hint. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it should have been somewhere else. We're never going to make this fucking podcast work if we can't get along. I think this is their best ever moment. Um, And I think this is the starting point of all of Landfill, in a way. This was 2004. It's Golden Touch by Razorlight. And I remember when they arrived, it totally set up Landfill. Because you had Johnny who had the backstory of being mates of the Libertines. Like he apparently played bass with them for like two days and suddenly he was like part of their story. Starts his own band and like all the coverage was just like, this is, you're like, if you're going to construct a rock star in a laboratory, it would be Johnny Burrell because he's like got the hair. He looks a bit like Mick Jagger. He's wearing like a suit jacket. And I think this was when labels started going, okay, these guys are kind of a bit like the Libertines, but he's, the presentation's a lot sharper. He's got a mouth on him. He's very ambitious. Like, he wants to be you too. I don't think you get Landfill Indy really taking over unless you have 
this firebrand of just a really annoying but kind of compelling dude who's like, no, do you know what? British indie should be like the biggest thing in the world. Like, I want to be the Beatles. I want to be like on the stage at Live 8, like giving out my, uh, quoting myself alongside the likes of Mandela and Bono. And uh, yeah, so, you know, this is pure landfill, but it's also a brilliant song. I think Golden Touch is great. It's from that debut album, which is really, has really taught concise guitar songs. Um, The kind of, the pop rock softness hadn't set in. They weren't that cynical yet. They still had a dream and it sounded great. Yeah, I do like the song and it has, I think it has melted away my my hate armor for Razorlight over the years. This one has in particular, but somewhere else, man, she asked him his name. He told her what it was. <laughs> that video as well, where he's just like emoting into the camera in like a pool hall and just black and white. And yeah, uh, so yeah, many he's great like, he's moments. Like, I, am the new, I am the new NXS. You will worship me. This is the fucking, <laughs> um, what's never tear us apart of, of, of a generation. Like, and it kind of is. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It kind of is. He talks about actually, um, in Johnny's mind, the moment everything went to shit was Before I Fall to Pieces. Do you remember that song from the second album, which was like total like pop rock stuff? That's, um, <laughs> so I go, I go. Isn't it yeah. like, just like, d- d- like jangly guitar and like big drums? Yeah, it's terrible. Like Totally. And he's got a great quote. I can't find it quite here, but he's just like, everything was great in music. And then like three minutes and 16 seconds later, it, it had all gone to shit. Like after <laughs> this fucking music video. So He's like, I'm sorry, everyone, everybody out, <laughs> everybody out of the pool. All things considered, are you exonerating Johnny Burrell? Is that what's, is that what's happening here? <clears throat> He's such an interesting dude, like, isn't he? He's. I'd love to interview him. He was like him. the I, I, I came Healy real close. of the time, but he yeah. was more interesting. I and came I think, real close like, to interview before, and I was like, oh, fuck, he gets I really wanted it. more and more self-aware. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, we need to. We need to track him down. Um, he He's would be a compelling character. Like we're doing a Q and A episode on the show soon. It's going to be our Christmas special. It's for patron, Patreon, uh, patron, uh, uh, patrons of Patreon. Try and say that. Fucking hell. <laughs> Patreon.com slash noancore. If you want to help me learn how to speak, um, that episode will be coming out there soon. And I know one of our questions is like about dream guests and such. I think Johnny's top of the fucking list or somewhere close to it at this stage. I would imagine, imagine like an hour long no encore oh with him. Oh my God. <laughs> dreamland. Absolute dreamland. I'd be all for it. Um, so yeah, I understand you have um, further vindication here, don't you? Something else you've prepared for us. Yeah, we're just going to have um, a little bit of Amy the Indie again. Just backing me up on this one. If I had a million pounds, I'd buy Johnny Barrel, lead singer of Razorlight, my favourite band. I'd just keep him in, in a glass container in my bedroom. I love Razorlight. I have one song that changed my life when I was uh, just listening to Radio 1, you know, when I was like 14. Golden Touch by Razorlight came on, and that's when I became indie. Oh my god, that is... <laughs> That that's the plot of misery right there. What the fuck? I know. Keep him in a glass container. We just want you on the show, Whoa. Johnny. Talk to us. Don't talk to Amy. Sorry, glass box. By the way, that's like that Alan Partridge quote where it's like, you know, uh, he's, he's reading it through people. People's <laughs> <laughs> request for when they die, and he's like, I want to be buried in a velvet-lined coffin with a couple of page three stunners. <laughs> stunners. <laughs> <laughs> and then that. he's like, 
they're alive it says here <laughs> i'm not reading the rest of that okay uh something just as horrific though for my number one this week um you might argue it's a bit more pop but i think this band consider themselves indie and they certainly have a sincerity of spirit that is the definition of ideas above their station i'm gonna give you a full minute of the song because it's fucking disgusting and you need to oh, hear God. the lyrics let's do it okay. it's my number one baby she's pretty Recoiling in horror there at Scouting for Girls and their debut single She's So Lovely. Can you name the album? Um Yeah, their their album was just Scouting for Girls, I think, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Self-titled. Yeah. How disgusted do you feel having relived that? The lyrics I'd totally forgotten the verses just being so um terrifying. Even thinking of the band name now is really like scouting for girls. It's it's that like incessant hook as well. That's kind of like it sounds like oh I'm a nice lad and you know oh she's so lovely, but it's so incessant and terrifying, just foreboding, objectifying. Um, oh, it's this um, is kind of like what the cribs were talking about, right? There was a lot of this <laughs> in landfill indie where it's just like really Larry kind of lechy dudes just being like. Under this sheen of kind of polite indie, it was quite predatory. Horrible, horrible. It's an all-time creep anthem from an act that have achieved eight top 40 singles, sold over two million records. Uh, nominated for four Brit Awards, and I'm sorry to report, Craig, won Ivor Novello Award. So that's, No, yeah, I know, our perfect institution. Um, this is not good. Uh, it's really fucking bad. They're actually still around. They released an album last year called The Trouble With Boys, and no joke, I cannot find a single professional review of it online, but... They keep they keep on going. Uh, the front man there, who you heard, his name is Roy Stride. Here's some quotes from him about this song. Um, he says that she's so lovely bit is quote the magic bit, which just came when I was dicking around on the piano. It was all about melody. Uh, to begin with, I've always been a massive fan of Brian Wilson, who's all about melody and harmony. <laughs> like, just, why, why yeah, not? I immediately thought Brian Wilson, <laughs> Pet Sounds. He said, uh, I'm not a great musician, so all the chords are pretty simple. Simple. Then the lyric just took shape. With a lot of songs, I like to spend a whole day just working on the lyric. I'll write verse after verse after verse. Sometimes it's utter shit, but you don't worry about it because you're just writing. You do as much as you can, and suddenly you go back and realize it's actually really good. Or sometimes it'll trigger something else. The lyric was originally much sweeter. 
It was, I love the freckles on her nose. I love the way she wears those clothes. My manager said, I think the lyrics are a bit too sweet. You should make oh, them sassier, God. a bit more edgy. So it became 30, flirty, and that girl looks really dirty. And he loved that. It grew and grew. We recorded what a demo. Grew and grew. We recorded a demo, and the restraining order, I hope. And I remember being in Ikea after we'd been signed <laughs> and hearing it playing in there as I was walking around. I'm like, this isn't the right version. I don't know how it happened. But we had our own little record later and we were literally giving the CD away to everyone. I remember hearing it on radio too. I nearly crashed the car. Recently, I looked on Spotify and for about three days, it was still in the top 200 most streamed songs in the country. That's insane. You could listen to anything by The Beatles or Led Zepp and for some reason, people want to listen to She's So Lovely. I think Scouting for Girls are probably the worst band of all time. I can't, like, I, I don't understand it. I Everything about it, like from the messaging to the vocal style to the disgusting like this is a band so fucking feather light they make the feeling sound like a metal band i i i what is the appeal how do people like yeah. this what happened it was who was responsible yeah. i'm i'm remembering more and more after like music videos and the vibe and it's almost that thing of like we've talked a lot about like the lad rock element of this and this was actually a real like G shucks vibe like I'm a nice guy wasn't it and just like whimsical and just yeah so so lightweight uh, I'm trying to remember the other songs El- Elvis Ain't Dead that was them wasn't it where it was like cause oh, I God, wish was- it was me oh yeah that's them isn't it it was like about their teacher that was called Elvis or so I don't know. <laughs> what the fuck good <laughs> god <laughs> like yeah horrible yeah. horrible but yes there is uh, yeah, good Lindy in the world I think our playlist next week will be a combined shout for the better of it we've got Craig's five and a few more that'll be up on patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support the show uh, buy us a Christmas present in the form of a pint aka a fiver if you can throw it our way we'd greatly appreciate <laughs> give us a fiver it. give us a fiver <laughs> I, think, I think at this stage Craig as we as we, as we get ready shaking people down <laughs> as we get yeah, Bob Geldof over here as we get ready to like hit the end of the year I'm just going to come and say it give us money no but seriously thank you for your continued support with the show even if you're just a listener you're more than just a listener you're a member of the fucking family and it's been great I'm very excited about what's to come we are very very close to end of year season Uh, next week though there'll be another regular album review and we've got a we've got a few choices here Craig I'm gonna let you pick it live on the air so next week album wise we could we could review Miley Cyrus Smashing Pumpkins Gary Barlow or Steps Um, it's gonna be one of the first two I agree. Um, yeah. I, God, I don't know between Miley and Smashing Pumpkins. It's a tough one, isn't it? It actually is a tough one. It really is a tough one, yeah. Um, Head says Miley, heart says Smashing Pumpkins. I know. I know. I feel like, oh God, I feel like maybe it should be Miley. We'll have a think, but let's say we're going Miley and then I'll get more information possibly. I just feel like Smashing Pumpkins, I'm, I don't know if I need that in my life right now. I'll make the executive decision. We'll go with Miley Cyrus. There's been a lot of very interesting buzz about her recently. She's done some very good covers and she's definitely kind of on the rise again as an interesting personality. So let's hope the album follows suit. We'll do Miley Cyrus. That's what we'll do. Yeah. And apologies to Gary Barlow because we just kind of shuffled him off with the likes of Steps there. But, um, you know, Gary, we, we know what we're getting. I mean, the album's called Music for Robots or something. So maybe we're better off. Incredible cover yeah. art as well. This episode of No Encore was engineered by handsome sonic architect Dahi Droney this week. Yay. Thank you so much, Dahi. We love you dearly and we love you too adam shanahan come back to us soon craig i enjoyed that top five 
it was quite therapeutic. I feel like I worked through a lot of um, childhood and teenage stuff and came out the other side of a better person, Dave, as always. That's all we can do in this crazy, crazy world. All right. He's Craig with Patrick. I'm Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. We're back next week. Love you. podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.